from the colorful studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another pestiferous episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. What's black and white and red all over and gives birth to babies that look like tiny cartoon dice on legs? It's the newest invasive insect on the block, the dreaded lanternfly. We'll explain where it is, where it's probably going, like your garden, and how to literally wash it away. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ironically insightful illuminations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than the Elton John of the insect world. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Later on the show, we're going to try to help people throughout the country understand what the spotted lanternfly, our newest invasive pest, looks like and acts like and what they can do if they find that it is spread to their area. But first, we got to give away a book. We're giving away a book a week to all the people who like kind of joined our impromptu book club a little while ago. Now, I have to say, this is dear to my heart when for like 30 years, I went to Childwood, both as a child and then when my kids were old enough to walk the boards, we took them to Wildwood. It is the the greatest uh, of the shore towns in New Jersey. And we had to pick this postcard because it even has the tram car. Watch the tram car, please. So who I'm going to put up the book now that we're giving away. Who sent this postcard but Beth Love of Zionsville, Pennsylvania, not that far from our studio. And it says that this is the four wonders of Wildwood, New Jersey. The Vegas Diner and Restaurant, Maury's Piers, Watch the Tram Car, Please, and the Magnificent Beaches and Ocean. The beach is only about a mile and a half long. So once you start from the boardwalk, it'll only take you an hour or two to get to the ocean. It is the longest beach I've ever seen. And uh, Backyard Bounty is the book that we'll be sending to Beth. Um, It is about year-round gardening in the Pacific Northwest. I didn't necessarily see that when I grabbed it running out. So I may substitute something more East Coast for our Beth in Zionsville. But you're going to get a book, Beth, and, you know, I'll show you which one it is. Now send me a postcard from the Pacific Northwest, and maybe we'll send you this book. No, don't send any new postcards yet. We're going to start that in two weeks. Okay? All right. It is time to get to your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Lori, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How are you? Real good. And where is Lori real good? 
uh, in State College, Pennsylvania. Ah, okay. Are you a student, a teacher, or just? Uh, <laughs> I'm. I work here. I'm none of the above, I guess. <laughs> okay, you just happen to live in an area with a hundred thousand Penn State students. Correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. What can we do for Laurie in Happy Valley? Well, I I was listening a few weeks ago. I just caught the tail end of um, uh, a conversation you had with a man who was having problems growing tomatoes, I think in a raised bed, and you were suggesting a Lehigh compost bin for potatoes. And um, I wanted to find out a little more detail about how to do that. We have a small community garden over at Lime Rock Terrace, and mm-hmm. I... Uh, I know that the the residents there want to grow potatoes next year, and in most of the raised beds we've had um, tomatoes, and so I want to do something fresh right. for the potatoes. Okay. So um, you did say tomatoes before, but we're talking about potatoes. Um, Correct. And one thing, uh, it sounds like you're, uh, you know not to grow tomatoes in the exact same spot year after year. Or, or you'll get verticillium wilt and the plants will suffer greatly. Potatoes are one of my absolute favorite things to grow. And one of the best ways, because all of us are trying to grow more, but with less work and with less space. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's that old expression, you know, when you're in a small garden, grow up, take everything you can as high as you can. So the Lehigh compost bin is very simple. It's a four by four wooden box made of uh, not overlapping uh, slats, but a slat and opening, a slat and opening. And it was created by J.I. Rodale and some researchers at Lehigh University to be an efficient composter because all the places where there weren't slats, the air would come in, move the compost along It's also a very nice looking bin, but people soon discovered that you could fill it with soil up to say the second or third open slat. And then you you plant potatoes pointing out one potato on each of the four corners, so to speak, in the center, pointing out so that the potato's greenery will will come out the, the openings of the slats. Then the fun begins because then you layer some more soil on, and when you think you've layered enough soil, you do four more potatoes. And there's no reason you can't get a third run in there. And then for good luck, I always plant one right in the center. (laughs) And when you take that um, Lehigh bin apart at the end of the year, um, it'll just be all potatoes inside. You'll, You'll have many, many pounds. Of potatoes. Oh, wow. and, and the nice thing about the Lehigh bin is each of the corners has a hole drilled down through all the lumber, and then there's just a simple rod that goes in and ho- holds its shape over the summer. But when you want to store it, you pull out those four rods and you flatten it down, and it's, you know, takes up less room than a pallet. And you should, wow. be, you should be able, if you just search Lehigh compost bin, um, you should be able to see some, some nice images of it. 
if you have trouble, there is a site that I have always gone to uh, to find weird composters, for lack of a better word. When somebody's trying to describe one to me that I don't understand, and the website is composters, with an S on the end, dot com. And they have just about everything. But, you know, if you have somebody who's handy, you know, uh, they can knock one of these out in an hour. Great. Now, would it matter? Um, we have one gardener who wants to grow russets and one who wants to grow redskin potatoes. It doesn't matter if we mix them. Oh, no, no, not at all. But aren't uh, this is going to be a community potato bin? Yes. There's just going to be one of them. Yes, at this point. How many gardeners you got? Well, um, right now, we <laughs> at the end of this year, we have two. We had three grad students who, who moved on and left. Oh, okay. Um, so we have six total beds, and so we're hoping to get some more gardeners for next year. Um, well, I but mean, at this point we have two. Yeah. Okay. Well, these open beds, I mean, what a great opportunity. You know, it, it, it can be a rectangular, um, compost bin set up, or it can be two of them side by side. But if you've got empty beds, you could grow a ton of potatoes and you'd also be preventing weeds from developing in those unused beds. So, okay. um, you know, and potatoes, there are two things about potatoes. First, unless you've grown potatoes, you've never tasted one. Because when, mm. you, when you reach in and get something like a red skin or a Yukon gold and just rinse it off out there in the garden and bite into it, it is juicy as a tomato. Hmm. But over time, of course, it will lose some of its moisture, and it is the perfect storage crop. So you literally cannot grow too many potatoes. As I do with tomato sauce, you know, taking all my tomatoes and saucing them so that I have fresh tomato sauce from my garden all year long, you could do the same thing with potatoes. Uh, just, you know, then you'd look for, um, you'd kind of get yourself a... Uh, a root, a root cellar uh, type of arrangement. Uh, look online for, you know, temporary root cellars. You know, you, know, you just want some place that's uh, cool and dry. And um, you shouldn't have any trouble. You can put as many different types of potatoes into that bin as you wish. And one thing, another thing that I love about potatoes is at some point in the summertime, they will produce flowers at the top of the plant. And the color of the flower signifies the color of the potato. So, huh. so if you plant purple potatoes, you get purple flowers. You plant yeah. red skins, you get red flowers. And you plant the Yukon Golds and you get this kind of a buttery looking flower. They're just, uh, just wonderful garden plants and so easy. And what, when would you plant? Oh, uh, potatoes are pretty frost hardy. Let's see, where you are, uh, you know, I would say any time after, after May 15th. You can, put, okay. you can put potatoes in the ground before you can put tomatoes and peppers in the ground. Okay. Well, thank you so much. 
All right, great. I love growing potatoes. You'll never look back, Laura. Thank you very much. All right, Bye-bye. thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will once again host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit homeless families. And I'll answer all of your garden questions as I do that on Wednesday, November 20th at the Lutheran Theological Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia's fabulous Chestnut Hill section. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to help you turn out the lights on lanternflies and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to talk about the dreaded lantern fly. Uh, what it looks like so you can identify it if it spreads to your area, and the easy way, surprisingly easy way, to control this invasive pest. In the meantime, lots more of your invasive phone calls at 833-727-9588. David, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, David. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And where is David doing well? I am from New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Very good. Are you not in New Hampshire anymore? Uh, No, I'm uh, born and raised and currently living still. Okay, very good. What can we do for you? Um, so my wife and I bought a house, uh, a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, old farmhouse came with a nice cherry tree in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, the cherry tree had a disease, I believe, uh, which I, you know, after lots of internet searching, I self-diagnosed as black knot fungus. Uh, so you basically could, all the, I'm sorry. You could well be right. Yeah. That's, 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 yes. Easy to diagnose. Yeah, so all the all the stems on it uh, were um, had this like really hot black knot on it, yep. and all the leaves on those stems were dying off. Um, pretty much every branch on it had it. Um, the the main uh, branches or trunk also has has it, or possibly um, like a canker uh, mm-hmm. of some sort. That exactly right. Exactly right. I'm not sure if, quote, black knot fungus 
and canker are the same exact um, organism, but they affect the trees in the same way. And this tree, okay. this tree was there and old when you moved in, right? It was, yes. Yeah. And now, I, now, no. The big I, question for me before we proceed: How does yep. it look in the springtime? Does it leaf out and bloom? It does, yes. Okay, nicely. Yeah, yeah, it blooms be- beautifully, um, especially now after I uh, pruned it back heavily. <laughs> well, now that's um, that's perfectly acceptable with any kind of fruit tree and by pruning of course you've uh, increased the airflow between the branches and that can only help things now what time of year and when did you prune it back heavily um i think i had pruned it back in the spring um it was a few years ago so i don't i don't remember exact timing but i believe it was sometime in the spring okay good before i had you know, begin listening to you and, um, you know, know what I do now. So Well, for instance, um, you can never go wrong pruning in the winter. You can yeah. never go wrong pruning in the spring, except, of course, that your tree is a spring bloomer, and then you miss those flowers. So my advice with spring blooming plants, like flowering cherries and crab apples and forsythia and all those other wonderful trees and shrubs that liven up the spring is prune them immediately after they're done flowering. So that way you get the best of everything. You get to thin it out, but you still get the full show. So if you read about these diseases online, you know that the advice is to prune out the affected areas. But it yes, sounds what I had done. Right. But it also sounds like you may be left with something the size of a chopstick if you did that completely. Yeah, I mean, it, there's pretty much nothing left to it. I'm actually kind of surprised it uh, survived and actually came back stronger than it was before. Well, you know, not all diseases are fatal. I mean, there are people walking around who are diabetic who keep it really well controlled, and they do fine. And this tree, even though it has um, a very common problem, especially in cold, wet areas. Now, I know you're cold. Um, are, you, are you near the coastline or anything like that? Are you in a, in a very wet area? Uh, about 20 miles from the coastline. Um, I mean, it's been very wet the past few seasons, as you know. Yeah. See, that's um, only going to increase the... Um, disease's potential to spread. Now, at the end of the season, when this tree drops its leaves, what do you do with them? Um, I usually um, mulch them all up uh, with everything else and throw them in the compost pile. Okay, good. So you do compost those leaves? I do, yes. Okay, because uh, I think we talked about on a show maybe last week, maybe the week before, that some dear friends of mine... um, uh, Howard Garrett, the dirt doctor uh, in Texas, and Lee Reich, the pruning expert, feel that composting diseased leaves um, can create compost that can help moderate the disease. So my advice to you would be to collect as many of these leaves separately as you can, shred them well, put them in their own container with a good amount of coffee grounds, spent coffee grounds, 
and mm -hmm. turn it. Um, you know, move the center to the outside, the outside to the center a couple of times. Um, and then when it is completely composted, spread that compost around the tree. Now, if you want to go for the million dollar movie, you take some of that compost and let's say you want to do this small scale. You would fill up an old tube sock, a gym sock with the compost, and you would hang that in like a five gallon bucket of water for 24 hours and then put that compost tea into a sprayer and in the morning just spray it all over the tree, especially on the diseased areas. If you wanted to do it on a larger scale, you'd put the uh, compost into that uh, pillowcase that you've always hated, you know, tie it off at the top, drop it into a clean trash can full of clean water, and then use that compost tea. Very important not to let it steep more than 24 hours because that compost tea will be full of live organisms and they need oxygen to survive. So after 24 hours, their numbers will start to go down in an ordinary compost tea brewer. Um, this may be a little bit too advanced, but I want to tell you about it anyway, because I know there's people who are going to love this. If you want yeah, to make, if you want to make super powered compost tea, you just drop a couple of literally aquarium bubblers, you know, those little bubblers in home aquariums, mm -hmm. you drop those down into the bucket or the trash can and let them go. And then they're constantly oxygenating the mixture not only keeping the beneficial organisms alive, but allowing them to breed. So that after a week, there would be exponentially more of these helpful organisms than there were in the beginning, because you were making sure they weren't dying of oxygen deprivation. So make the compost separately, make it as hot as you can, meaning uh, coffee grounds for a really rich source of nitrogen, Turn it a couple of times to keep it composting, and then you can just spread the compost underneath the tree. That's a great way to get started. Or you make compost tea, or what we call aerated compost tea, and spray the tree with it. Um, I don't know if you have a sprayer. I have a backpack sprayer, a three-gallon backpack sprayer that I love using yep. for those kind of big jobs. And. Um, Think about it. You're putting all these disease-fighting organisms right in the face of the disease. So I guess my question is, I, uh, the black nut fungus, I think I have pretty much under control uh, with some pruning every now and then. Right. Um, how would I continue controlling the, uh, the canker since that's on, like, the main trunks of the tree? It is, yeah, that's uh, unfortunately. Um, that's unfortunate because the, the solution for canker is to cut it off and yeah. and destroy it so but um maybe there's a couple of branches that you can do that too and it's not going to ruin the tree um okay. you're not going to be able to get them all so again it's the same answer take those leaves which are you know they've already they've got this disease coursing through them compost them and then return the resulting compost or tea to the tree and let them fight it out and would spraying like a copper fungicide help at all as well? Or? Copper fungicides, are uh, they've been around for thousands of years. They're effective against some diseases. I would not use both. I would choose. Okay. Because the copper will kill the organisms. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Um, 
it's it's always a pleasure uh, listening to you every week. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Gail, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thanks um, for so making it, Gail. We have to ask where you are. I'm in Clarence Center, New York, which is a little east of Buffalo. What's the name of it again? Clarence Center. Clarence is in like the late Clarence Clemens? You know? Yeah. Okay. Was it named for Clarence? It should have been, you know. Uh, no, no. I think it was probably before his time. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> nobody's perfect. All right. What can we do for Gail in upstate New York? So, um, May of this year, uh, my son bought me what was called a Sunny Knockout Rose Tree from uh, an online company. Um, So I planted the tree in a a pot that's about uh, two feet wide at the top and 18 inches high. Um, And it did fairly well over the summer. It had a little incident with some saw flies, so it lost some leaves. Um, But now I want to know what to do with it over the winter. Okay. So a knockout rose that has been grafted onto a tree stump is exactly what we're talking about here, right? That's correct. Now, do you like the form here as opposed to a rose bush? You know, because it's kind of, uh, sometimes these look like lollipops or cotton candies, you know, with uh, everything at the top of a stick. Well, the the pot that I put it in um, is a real nice focal um, spot in our, um, in front of our, garage so Mm -hmm. it's kind of sitting on the gravel driveway and it's got some um flowers along the the bottom of it so it looks pretty nice so i do like it in the pot if it can remain in the pot that would be wonderful but i am concerned about um as i said what to do with it over the winter um so i'm kind of looking for options i mean i could plant it if necessary I could drag it into um, an unheated garage, um, or I could even bring it in in the house. So okay. The pot isn't so big that I can't move it. Uh, I thought you were describing this is not the pot it came in. No, the the what it came in um, was kind of cool. It just came in a long box. Right. Um, and it was just had a little bit of um, soil at the roots, and as I said, I took it out of there and planted it, and. Um, so since it was a gift from my son, I really do want to keep it alive. But when I opened it up, I thought, uh-oh, I'm uh-huh. going to kill this. Okay. Um, well, you're not responsible if you kill a gift. It's only if you bought the plant yourself. So now, one thing I want to get to first, when you planted it, did you know to keep that graft above the soil line? Well, I'm assuming that the graft, graft aspect of it is where this, bush, this rose bush where it branches out, meets, meets the stalk, so to speak. Right. Well, that's about two to three feet above the soil line. Okay, great. Great. Okay. See, because what you have, again, you have a, you have a basic knockout rose, and what they've done is turned it into a tree form by grafting it onto a rootstock that is different than would normally be used for grafted roses. Many roses are grafted, and they're grafted onto the rootstock of another rose, typically a 
a tough rose that is better at withstanding conditions and maybe wet soil and stuff. But what a lot of rose growers don't realize is their grafted roses, the rose they like is grafted onto multiflora rose, the crazy wild thing out in the woods that is always threatening to take over the world. And if they bury that graft, if they put, uh, put soil or mulch up above that graft line, the top will die and the original rose, the, the rootstock rose will come up. And so every year I get these wonderful calls. People think there's been a miracle in their garden. My orange rose turned white this year. <laughs> and boy, are they in for a bad surprise. So that's number one. Keep that, no matter what we do here, keep that, uh, keep that graft line well above the soil line, and then you'll always get the flowers you want. Now, if, okay. you, if you lived in Philadelphia, especially if you lived in Center City, Philly, I would say you can take a chance on leaving that outside because you got a nice big container. If you lived in, say, D.C. or below, no problem whatsoever. Put it in a protected area and you'll be fine. But where you are, those roots are going to freeze if they're in even a large container. The only plant that would survive outdoors in a container in your environment would be an alpine plant, one of these little evergreens that are rated for zone three or something like that. But I think you, it sounds like you have the room and the skill to do this really easily. So wait until the plant goes dormant. The threat is not in the early stage or the late stages of fall, but really in the middle of winter when things get really cold and the soil doesn't dry out anymore. So wait till, I'm going to say like around Thanksgiving, because the rose will love it if it's nice and dormant. Do not prune it. Take it out of its container. Plant it in a nice spot that doesn't hold water. Sun, shade, really doesn't matter now. All, all that you're doing is what we call healing in. Temporarily planting this so its roots stay in the ground for protection over winter. Uh, when we get to the spring and you see new growth on your rose, that tells you two things. One, hey, you didn't kill it yet. Second, it is now time to replant that rose where you want it. So you can do what you want over uh, the winter in that container, but keep the rose in the ground somewhere. And then as soon as you see new growth on the rose, you can dig it up and carefully replant it back in the container where you want to see it. And if the rose does need pruning another week, that's the time to clean it up, to shape the plant, to get rid of any uh, dead sticks, anything you don't like and you should be good to go. Just repeat that sequence every year, and it could live for a long time. Okay, that sounds good. All right, Gail? All right, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Good luck. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that I will once again be honored to host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit homeless families and answer your garden questions throughout the evening this Wednesday, November 20th at the Lutheran Theological Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia's fabulous Chestnut Hill section. 
But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to help you turn out the lights on lantern flies and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week in which we examine the dreaded lanternfly. Is it spreading wildly? Is it uncontrollable? Well, the answers are yes and no, and we'll explain why after a couple more of your fascinating phone calls at 833-727-9588. Mary Ann, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mary Ann. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. <laughs> and where is Mary Ann well? Um, I'm calling from uh, Belmede, New Jersey. Okay, so what part of Jersey is that? Uh, that is sort of the middle part of New Jersey in Somerset County. Um, right out, we're right outside of Princeton, New Jersey. Oh, okay, very good. Yeah, I know Princeton and Lawrenceville very well. Oh, yes. All right. What can we do for Marianne? So um, I have a very large, a very old sycamore tree, mm -hmm. uh, and we've only lived in the, uh, in our at our house for two years. So um, this spring, I saw all of a sudden that it was starting to leaf out and. It promptly lost all its leaves, uh, and I was quite upset. But then a couple of weeks later, it started to leaf out again. Uh, and it was beautiful all summer, and um, now it's starting to lose its leaves, and they are um, mostly uh, shriveled, uh, brown, dry leaves, um, because maybe because of the weather we've been having, the dry weather. Um, my question is whether or not I should be composting these leaves or if I can... Um, apply them directly onto perennial gardening beds because of, uh, I, I believe that it had anthracnose um, uh, and that was why it was losing its leaves. So I don't want to further infect my other plants, but um, I'm just asking for your guidance. Good. Um, what made you suspect anthracnose? Did you look up the symptoms online? Did you I did. I actually went um, to the Rutgers um, annual gardening sale, and I brought a branch Excellent. with me that had Excellent. fallen down, and I, I talked to the, the director there, and he said, he, he showed me another sigma tree that they had, which looked exactly like mine, and he said, this is what, what's going on, and it's going to be recuperating, but, um, and it surely did, but okay. I'm just nervous to spread the disease. Yes. Um, it's an excellent question. Um, first, was the First, if this had been a healthy tree, uh, 
you would still not use the whole leaves. You would want to suck the leaves up with uh, a leaf blower set on reverse and then put the shredded leaves down as a mulch around right. your, your perennials. Because whole leaves, you know, they just get all moldy, they freeze together, they turn into yeah. a mat. <clears throat> yeah. Now, um, many years ago, I would have told you to trash the leaves. But I had a very mm -hmm. interesting experience back uh, Back when the show was on another station, I had uh, two of my favorite people on as guests. I had uh, Howard Garrett, who is the, quote, dirt doctor uh, from okay. Texas. He has a show much like mine, except in Texas. And Mel Bartholomew, the guy who created Square Foot Gardening. And uh -huh. Lee Reich, who is a, a fruit mm. and um, pruning expert. And we had a question exactly like this. And I said, oh, yeah, keep those leaves out of your compost pile. And they all jumped me. They all jumped on top of me and going, no, it's very important to put those leaves into a compost pile. And I'm going, why is that? And they say, well, the compost that results from this could well be a cure for the disease. It's kind of like a vaccination. How is, oh, the, how is, the, how is the tree going to learn to coexist with this organism if you don't try to, you know, kind of force the organism to become uh, a more positive one by, right. uh, by going through the composting process. Um, again, almost like a vaccination. And I, you know, I came to the conclusion that they were absolutely right. Except for a few exceptions, I think there is a positive about putting diseased leaves into the compost pile, but I would also urge you to make a hot pile. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have composters? Do you have bins? Do you have an open um, hungadunga, whatever? Mm, it's sort of open, uh, just a pile, really, um, that I put everything into. Okay. Um, and uh, have you collected these leaves yet? Not yet. And that was then my other question, because it's hard to get everything, you know. Mm -hmm. they, they're large, of course, leaves, so you can easily see them, but they can be hiding under things. So sure, sure. is that a concern? No, because anthracnose is ubiquitous in our environment. It's also everywhere. So yeah. even without a leaf being left behind, there's going to be anthracnose spores going around. The idea uh, in organic gardening is to give the tree its best shot at developing natural defenses, make the tree stronger. So right. if you'd like to try something interesting, I would get um, a, small, a, a smaller environment for a specialized a batch of compost. I would you know, use okay. a big tomato cage or a, a Lehigh bin or, you know, just a, a, a roll of welded wire animal fencing. And I, right. would, I would, in this, I would put the shredded leaves from your infected tree and lots of coffee grounds from, like, the lo okay. local donut shop or Starbucks or something like that. And, right. and turn that compost once or twice. You don't have to go nuts, but we want to make hot compost. So right. by doing that, we actually will kind of come up with a vaccination, a, a cure perhaps. And that compost, mm -hmm. as I guess you can see where I'm going, in addition yep. to going around the perennials, that compost should go down at the base of the tree as well. Yep. That sounds like a good, uh, good plan. Yes. But I, you're right about not, not 
you're right about the naked leaves, so to speak, being put under perennials. That's just asking for trouble. Actually, I was thinking of shredding the leaves first and then putting them on, on as just the threaded leaves, but, but I think maybe that's uh, maybe going a little bit too far. Yeah, the shredding... Um, they have to be composted first. Yes, the shredding would not harm the organism, but a hot composting process could transform the organism into its own cure. Excellent. Well, I will try that. All right, Thank Mayor. Good luck much. to you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have Bye-bye. a good day. Bye-bye. All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Reach for the Hose, if you're seeing spots. Suzanne writes, I live in Philadelphia near the Schuylkill Valley Nature Center. My trees are full of spotted lanternflies. How do we kill them? Can we spray them with hornet spray? We can see the pests high up in the trees, and I have a can of hornet spray that says it can reach 20 feet. Ugh. As Charlie Brown would always say when Lucy yanks the football out from underneath him yet again, ARG! Do not buy, quote, hornet spray. Do not use, quote, hornet spray on anything, including hornets. It'll just make them mad. And then you'll be stung repeatedly by creatures that previously had zero interest in you. The use of, quote, hornet spray is a panic reaction, and such reactions are never a good idea. Oh, and you do realize that any liquid that shoots 20 feet in the air above your head is going to soak you more than what you're aiming at, right? Do you even know what's in that can and what specific human cancer it's associated with? To repeat what I've been trying to pound into the residents of this planet for the past 30 years, Chemical insecticides are never the answer. The real answer in this specific circumstance and in many others is water. If your roses are covered with aphids, for instance, cradle the plant in one hand and blast the rats off with the sharpest stream of water you can coax out of your nozzle. See, Jane? See the little insects. Now see the tiny little insects go flying all over the place. Researchers have confirmed that sharp streams of water are more effective at getting rid of aphids than any chemical pesticide. A laser-like blast will kill up to 95% of the aphids on contact, and the remaining few are too depressed to go on. The same is going to be true for pests like the lanternfly. Their wings and furry bodies are going to be severely damaged by sharp streams of water. You have low water pressure, hose can't reach that far, Buy a pressurized sprayer. They come in sizes from a handheld quart up to three and five gallon backpack models. Who are you gonna call? Fly busters. If those targets are up high, now we know why God made pressure washers. You can achieve a huge knockdown with nothing more dangerous than water landing on you, your children, your pets, birds, bees, butterflies, wombats, whatever and you're essentially using the home version of a fire hose. If that doesn't sound like fun, there's something seriously wrong with you. Water is the best pesticide. Bruce Lee said that. Now back to the lanternfly. Some of you may not be familiar with this pest because as recently as a year or so ago, it was mostly confined to one small corner in Pennsylvania but now it's been confirmed in Delaware and parts of the greater D.C. area. 
um, officials have made an unusually strong call for citizen scientists to assist in the effort to slow the spread of this pest. What does it look like? It is almost impossibly distinctive. The adults are said to be about an inch long, although the ones that I've seen seem somewhat bigger. Two sets of wings. The ones near the head are gray with black spots, and the wings toward the rear are red with black spots. The head and legs are black, and the abdomen, 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 that's the correct way of saying that, kids. Don't let your teachers tell you different. And the abdomen is yellow with black stripes. You got that right. Crazy looking. And the immature stage, the nymphs, are equally distinctive. I saw some in my garden two seasons ago and thought I was trapped in a Warner Brothers cartoon from the 1940s. They were square-shaped and black with round white spots. Yep, cartoon dice with skinny legs. And be aware that most of the ID pictures of the adults you're going to see have the wings spread out to show you the wild colors. But in reality, those wings are often folded back when the pest is hopping and feeding. And that hopping is how you can tell that it is not a moth or a fly of any kind. It's a plant hopper. And the way it spreads is pretty nefarious. After the adults finish feeding in the fall, the females lay 50 to 100 eggs apiece on a solid object, and then they cover the eggs with a substance that makes a nursery look like a patch of mud. These egg masses have been found on firewood, on lawn furniture, cars, and trucks. So you load up a camping trip, let's say, to go to another state the following spring, or take some firewood to a bonfire that your family's thrown in the Carolinas, and boom, you could have hitchhikers on the outside of the vehicle and on the firewood. So don't transport firewood. In addition, state extension agents are urging people, including children, to learn how to identify the egg masses on surfaces. I actually got really good information from a coloring book published by the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Yes, a coloring book. Hey, come on, I stayed inside the lines for once. Anyway, if you see what you think is an egg mass, scrape it off into a jar of rubbing alcohol. And be aware that invasive insects of any kind are always problems for us, but they're big bags of protein for beneficial insects. These pests have natural enemies back in Asia that are being actively researched, and several different fungi appear to be attacking them. So don't panic. Have your super soaker prepared and look at the mud on surfaces with a hairy eye. Well, that sure was some interesting advice about putting out the lights on your lantern flies now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, all the details appear in the question of the week at the Gardens Alive website, where you can read it all over at your leisure or your leisure. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org.
G. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to light up my flies if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video past shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with WLVT and WLVR, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Lucy and Desi Arnett. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Carlin is running the camera this week. Hey, slow down. Zach the Takwisneski is in the house and on the move. Moving slowly but surely, our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is, well, he's late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, asking where the summer went because I brushed my teeth with Pepsodent. And I will continue to do so until I see you again next week. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at LVHN.org. 
The holidays are fast approaching. Are you thinking of turning some of your landscape plants into wreaths and swags? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, I'll explain how to harvest your holly and gather your greens without damaging the plants they're on. That's on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden.